morning, everyone. Uh, may that be so, that we live to serve his majesty and that Jesus, all for Jesus, all that we are and all that we have and all that we ever hope to be. Thank you uh, to Vic for sharing that and for Mark for leading us. This is our final uh, part of this mini-series, as Mark said, Vision Express. And hopefully it has become clear now that the kind of theme this morning is serving, that if to be a church without walls, we want this to be an intentional place of serving alongside belonging and multiplying and going. And we looked at belonging last Sunday morning. We looked at multiplying and going last Sunday evening. And so this morning we come to serving. One of the, uh, one of the amazing things about this place and about this church is the sheer number of people who serve who roll up their sleeves on a regular basis and give of their time and give of their energy and give of themselves to serve others. And so even this morning, I'm aware of the army of of dedicated and committed volunteers. The praise band, Stephen, Sandra, Adrian, Andy, Lavinia, Drew, Laura, Jane, James, And Simon down on PA. The Deacons, John McCormick and Sally, who opened up, set up, and will close up. The elder on duty, John, who came and prayed with myself and with Mark before the service and tried to get you all fitted in. Bless you, John. For Paul, who helped collect the offering. For Katie, who will count it, who will lodge it, who will maintain our finances. All volunteers. The junior church team today, Paul, Mamiafwa, Elaine, Luke, Shannon, Alan, Jelly, Kate, Elliot. Those who right now are out in the cabin serving our young people, John, Louise, Rick, Daniel, Sarah. The creche team, Janet, Kitty, Ashley, Colleen, Hilary. Alan and Maureen who were here early to organize the most wonderful cup of coffee you will ever have. <laughs> and it's not instant It's one of the reasons I came to this church. (laughs) And also, somebody wanted to break out in a round of applause. (laughs) That was for the coffee. coffee. And for Isabel, who provided the flowers so that we wouldn't be distracted by Mark. (laughs) But a whole team of volunteers, I don't know how many that is, but a whole team of volunteers and servants And if we looked at the rest of the week and those sheets that Mark showed us and all the various activities that take place in this this church, it is incredible. And it's so encouraging to discover and realize that this is a place populated with people who are prepared to live beyond themselves. Who willingly serve others as a tangible expression of their love for God and their love for their neighbor. And I'm going to have a chat with one of them now. This morning's sort of preach is is going to be a little different. It's going to be illustrated with live people. Uh, So John McBride, come and uh, join me at the front. John is one of our volunteers. And I'm going to ask John a few questions. So John, if you would grab one of those mics. John, how long have you been coming to Windsor? Um, I've been coming 24 years. I told somebody recently it was 25, so um, Brilliant. 20. And who do you come here with? I come here with my wife, Elaine, and my, our son, Ian. OK. 
Okay, and this time tomorrow, John, uh, quarter past 11 on a Monday morning, where will you be? What will you be doing? I'll be in Invest NI. I'm applications manager there. I'll be in a meeting doing process maps for a product research system. Brilliant. Last year, John, during the month that we were looking at our vision, on the, on the Sunday that we looked at serving, Heather Law stood up here and spoke about the meeting point, the kind of drop-in centre just across the road here. And after that service, you volunteered to help. Why? I, I, when I felt that it was something that I could give to with my life experience, okay. and uh, it was outside the church as well, so it was going to be something different. Brilliant. And what sort of things does that involve? What kind of things do you get up to there? Um, well, actually, we spend most of the time playing pool. And <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Playing games. Brilliant. And just trying to get friendly with people. Um, because I think that's one of the bottom lines for the meeting point. You're there to befriend people and become friends with them. So that as time passes, you may have the opportunity to share your faith with them. Brilliant. Give us a highlight, John, of volunteering this year at the meeting um, point. Actually, funny enough, it was another quiz. Brilliant. Um, and there was a real mix of cultures there. And uh, the humour was just fantastic. Brilliant. Um, as I say, there was a lot of challenge. Give me one of the challenges of being a volunteer there. Um, I think one of the challenges is to make sure that you consistently go and that you remember people's names and that you're friends with them. And I think one of the other challenges is, I think, for the, the group of us to go is trying to find some way to get more people to come to it. The numbers are quite low at the minute. Mm-hmm. So I think we just need to be um, consistent with our ways. Brilliant. Thank you very much, John, for being willing to do that this morning. The, uh, the importance and the value of, of serving others and being a servant is one of those constant, inescapable themes in the teaching of Jesus. And what I'd like to do this morning is just give you three critical reasons. I don't normally have three-point sermons, but this morning I will have a three-point sermon. I'm going to give you three critical reasons to serve, and they are these. To embrace an example, to experience divine blessing, and to discover true greatness. Now, one of the most striking incidents that, that captures the heart of Jesus for those who have chosen to follow him takes place on the eve of his crucifixion and his death. We've looked at this before, and so I'm not going to dwell on it for, for very long, but in John 13, whenever Jesus gets up from that table, and whenever he takes off his, his outer clothing, and he wraps a towel around his waist, and he pours water into a basin, and he starts washing the disciples' feet, including the feet of his betrayer and his denier. He not only sent shock waves through an upper room, but he set an example to embrace. He set an example to embrace. None of the twelve, none of the twelve had been prepared to volunteer their services for whatever reason. They wouldn't even wash their master's feet, never mind wash the other eleven's feet. And so whenever Jesus grabbed the initiative and performed this rather routine, very ordinary, get your hands dirty, put yourself out task, it spoke loud and clear. And therefore what Jesus said next, after he had washed 
24 feet. What he said next needs to be heard at full volume. Every Christian, every disciple needs John 13, 15 etched on their heart and mind. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus isn't instructing us to literally wash one another's feet, but he does call us to serve. He does call us to serve one another within these walls, beyond these walls. The John 13 incident, if you like, stands forever as a visual demonstration of the need to embrace and adopt the attitude of a servant. The need to take opportunities that come your way and actually serve others. The need to be willing, as I've said, to live not for yourself but beyond yourself. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So let me encourage you to serve. Why? To embrace an example. Secondly, serve to experience divine blessing. Do you know if we give of our time and our energy and ourselves for the sake of others... The outcome or the payback, the benefit is amazing. People who serve often talk about the fact that they get more out of it than they put in. You receive more back than you contribute. But it actually goes beyond that from a Christian perspective. Deeper, far deeper. Listen to John thirteen seventeen. Now that you know these things. You will be blessed if you do them. See, as with so much of Christian discipleship, the proof or the evidence for authenticity is seen in what we do. This is the way it, this is the way it works. As, as I read God's word, this is the way I understand it works. The proof of the evidence for the authenticity of our Christianity is seen in what we do doesn't save us, but it says something about us. Proves who we are. Proves whose we are. And so Jesus says, now that you know these things, which isn't enough, but it's great that you do know these things. You know that you've got to serve others. You know that you've got to adopt the attitude of a servant, but it's not enough to just know it. You will be blessed. How? If you do it. See, it's got to move from head to heart to hands. It's got to flow that way. Head to heart to hands. Head to heart to hands. But what an amazing incentive that towel bearers, foot washers, junior church teachers, PA operators, people who do, will experience God's divine blessing and favor. To say that you get more out of it than what you put in is an understatement. So serve to embrace an example. Serve to experience divine blessing. And thirdly, serve to discover true greatness. So much of the teaching of Jesus is profoundly countercultural. I've said this so many times. At face value, the teaching of Jesus doesn't make a lot of sense. It jars. It actually creates a lot of confusion for many people. We live in a world and a culture where greatness is defined by what? It's defined by power. Where the one who is served 
is far greater than the one who serves. That, that's human logic as opposed to kingdom logic. If you do have a Bible, can I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 35. It's page 1015 in, in the Pew Bibles. Mark 10, 35. As you're looking that up, it's, it's, it's another one of those incidents. It's probably a little before the Upper Room episode. But it's one of those incidents where Jesus is again challenging his listeners about the importance of service and about having the attitude of a servant. Now, there's lots going on in and around this incident. There's there's lots happening at this time in the story. Jesus has just for about the third time now predicted his own death. And he's disclosed some really disturbing information regarding what lies ahead of him in Jerusalem. He's journeying towards that place. And for the third time, he predicts his death. And he says what's going to happen to him. And so he says, listen, I'm going to be condemned, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be spat on, I'm going to be flogged, I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, I'm going to rise. And how the disciples react every time, every single time, how they react to these significant predictions is pretty awful. And here is no exception. Look at verse 35. James and John, brothers, sons of thunder, as they're affectionately known, They come to Jesus with a demand. And if it wasn't so tragic, if it wasn't so tragic, given all that's going on around Jesus, this would be amusing. But it actually is tragic. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's their response to what Jesus has just said. Teacher, We want you to do for us what we ask. A more self-centered, self-serving sentence would be hard to find. Although before I become too past remarkable and harsh, I wonder did I ever pray along similar lines. God, here's what I want you to do for me. Anyway, Jesus in in typical gracious, gracious fashion responds like this what do you want me to do for you if you look down 13 verses it's the exact same quest or response he gives blind Bartimaeus Bartimaeus what do you want me to do for you Bartimaeus was physically blind he knew it James and John it turns out could be spiritually blind and they haven't got a clue And here's their response. So whenever Jesus graciously says to them, well, what do you want me to do? Here's their response. Let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in glory. James and John call shotgun. They want the best seats. Seats of glory, seats of power, seats of authority, seats of recognition, seats of status in the coming kingdom. We want, to, we want to be great, Jesus. And we want everybody to see that we're great, that we occupy these positions of power and authority and status. A chapter earlier in Mark 9, after Jesus had predicted his death for the second time, the disciples had a full-blown argument about who was the greatest. Jesus had to sit them down and he had to explain to them that anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And it seems that even though he said that in Mark chapter 9, here we are in Mark chapter 10, and they still don't get it. They're still vying and jockeying for position of power, positions of power. And so no wonder Jesus responds to them this time, listen, do you know something, guys? You do not know what you're asking for. 
You do not know what you're asking for. Jump down to verse 41. Because as always, Jesus very rarely has a private conversation. The other ten disciples, they overhear Jesus. Or they get wind of what James and John had requested. And it says, in Kenya, they hit the roof. Look at it, it says they became indignant with James and John. They are so angry with these two who are actually saying, hey, we want to sit beside you, Jesus, in your coming kingdom. We want the possessions of power. So no wonder the other ten disciples are raging. And so Jesus has to step in again and sit them all down and speak into their lives. And so he starts, and it's all here in the text, he starts by referring to the Gentile or the secular rulers and who lorded over people. That, that, that's the way people work in this world. They lorded over others. And how the great ones in their society exercise authority over people. That's how they do life. And then he tells them, listen, do you know something? You should be radically different. Radically different. That if they honestly want to be great, if they want to know what it means to be great in kingdom terms, in God's eyes, then listen carefully. Verse 43. Not so with you. In other words, you've got to be different. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you. Okay, Jesus, tell us. I know you've told us this chapter earlier. Tell us again. Whoever wants to be great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. See, Jesus deconstructs and reconstructs reality. True greatness comes via service. It's the upside down world of Jesus. True greatness comes via service. Doesn't come from privilege. Doesn't come from position. Doesn't come from status. Doesn't come from power. It comes from being a servant. It seems that Jesus constantly needed to reinforce this teaching. Went over it time and time again. Right up to the point where he had to stand up from a table. Wrap his outer clothing around him. Grab a towel. Pour water into a basin. Get down on his knees and perform this dirty little task of washing the disciples' feet. They kept losing sight of this. And therefore, as a church, we want this to be written into our vision. Engraved in our thinking. That to be a church without walls, we want this place to be an intentional place of serving. Where we create and we promote opportunities for service within these walls, beyond these walls. And so this morning, around the edges and up at the front are 18 sheets with 70 opportunities to serve. There are tons of people who serve in this place. I've listed some of the ones who are serving here this morning. There are 70 more opportunities for you to serve. Sally, come and join me. Visual illustration number two. Sally is a deacon here at Windsor. Deacon means 
servant. And at the minute, we as a church are currently looking for nominations for new deacons. And those who are members should have got an email. And if you haven't received an email about that, can you please speak to Roy afterwards? We'll make sure you get a copy of what was sent out to the members. But I just thought it would be good to ask a current deacon, a current servant, a few questions. So, Sally, how long have you been coming to Windsor? Um, 22 years. Not as long as John. Unlucky. Uh, and who do you come here with, Sally? Um, currently, I come with uh, Mary, my wife, and uh, our daughter, Helen. Um, and before that, we um, had uh, three other children who are now away because of study or work. Brilliant. One day, Olive and uh, Blessing. And tell me, I, did, I didn't say I was going to ask this, but anyway, this time tomorrow, half past 11 on a Monday, what will you be doing? Um, I will be doing uh, my routine uh, work as a radiologist, um, which involves uh, either looking at x-rays or doing all sorts of other things, scans and so on. Brilliant. How long have you been serving here as a deacon, Sally? Uh, Four years now, almost. And why were you willing to serve in that role? Uh, Well, first thing I considered was um, my family had benefited from um, spiritually in this church for so long um, mm-hmm. through God's word mm-hmm. uh, which you know has shaped our lives in so many ways and I thought it was um, you know just nice to give something back to God in terms of time wow. uh, and uh, the, the second thing is um, coming you know to church I thought about being a deacon being involved, and I thought, well, it's an opportunity to know a little bit more about the people because you get more involved with you know, people shaking hands with them whenever they come in, um, and also how the church is, uh, is run, and, and uh, so many other things, and uh, I've not been disappointed. Brilliant. And in what ways, Sally, have you been blessed through serving as a thing? I mean, the second point I, say, I made was why serve? to experience God's divine blessing and favor. So how have you been blessed through serving? Well, I have experienced that. Um, But, you know, the first thing I must say is whenever I was called, you know, to be a deacon, uh, it was with some sense of trepidation. Um, Two things. I looked at the qualifications of, you know, a deacon, and I thought, no, I don't really, really, you know, I cannot do it. The second thing was, you know, time. Well, what about, you know, how do I you know, make, um, uh, you know, share my time between God, between family, and between work. And that was um, a big decision. But being a deacon actually has uh, helped me to trust, you know, God more because I have found out that um, uh, it has really, you know, helped me to be, uh, to be aware of God's faithfulness on these two counts because I know it's really not... Um, uh, my, uh, I don't make myself fit, you know, to being a deacon. It's God who calls me that is able to shape me to be able to, to do the work. So it's helped me to really appreciate God's faithfulness and to depend more and more on him. Uh, the second thing is, uh, whenever I come here, and that's, you know, actually part of what I was saying earlier, I'm coming to know more about the people, coming to know about how the church is run, the uh, various activities, knowing how many more people actually serve, the you know, various you know, people in mission, in um, you know, various aspects, cleaning, and there are also people that do things 
at the background that you actually never knew. Mm. I mean, these have actually enhanced my prayer life because it directs me you know, to be able to focus my prayer more on um, uh, these aspects. And last question, Sally. What would you say to anyone who has been asked by another member to consider becoming a deacon? Well, um, I would say to prayerfully consider it for reasons that David has already said. Um, but first and foremost, you want to ask, what is in it for me? Um, well, the first thing I want you to know is, is your church. Um, you will have the opportunity to keep an eye on how your pastor spends <laughs> money. Um, you know. Well, um, on a more serious note, I must say, being a deacon, you know, it's, the accountability in this church is just tremendous, and it's an example, you know, for um, any organization to follow. Therefore, it would be a good thing to be part of it. Um, the second thing uh, about, you know, what is in it for me is, uh, well, sadly, you don't receive any pay for it. <laughs> so, um, but perhaps that's actually the point, because... Jesus made a statement, and in, sometimes we actually uh, underplay that, you know, that your reward will be great in heaven. Mm. Um, you know, perhaps we don't really take note of that very much, you know, simply because some other, you know, faith, you know, emphasize on what, you know, and we don't want to be associated with it. Mm. But I think that's something that, you know, we underplay, um, you know, quite a lot. Your reward will be great in heaven if you serve um, in that position and in many other positions as well. Um, the other um, uh, thing I would probably you know, want to say is that um, uh, apart from your personal you know, gain, personal um, benefits, you know, which David has already uh, you know, stated, there are other you know, things uh, that, you, um, that you benefit from as a, a deacon in this church. One is well, the pastor, for example, a pastor cannot do you know, everything. If you leave him to do everything, uh, he will not have time to um, prepare because we appreciate how he preaches to us, how he prepares. He needs time to do that. Remember that the first deacons were um, elected simply because the apostles needed time to concentrate on prayer, on uh, you know, preaching God's word, and so they, um, they had to uh, get uh, the deacons. The other thing is the benefit for the church itself. Um, the uh, mission of the church as you know, growing church you know, to um, membership or that is uh, belonging and uh, multiplying all of the aspects actually hinge on serving. Therefore, whenever you serve, you know, getting at the front of the church in the morning, shaking people's hand and putting, getting them into you know, appropriate places, help them to have a sense of belonging. It also helps to bring peace uh, into the church, I must say. Well, it's the, actually the primary, uh, that was the problem in the church whenever the first deacons were uh, uh, elected in the first century. There was division in the church because the, um, the widows were being left out. Some of them were being left out whenever they were distributing things. I mean, let me give you a small example. You know, let's see the way coffee is served, you know, here. Maybe some people like, you know, very strong coffee. Some people want it weak. Some people, you know, want, uh, you know, more tea. And, you know, it causes division when there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, um, the deacons actually.
help, you know, to bring peace in the <laughs> Brilliant. What an illustration. But, well, the, the thing is, I must say, to be honest, um, I wouldn't say it's a very easy job. You know, one of the things I have found out is, um, the, whenever you, it's time, for example, I mean, this evening at, you know, quarter to nine, ten to nine, you still have some people. You want to get them out. <laughs> oh, I love honesty. But that, they're, still, they're still hanging around. And that is where I, you know, the devil actually is actually very good at those situations. He actually, you know, puts certain things into you and say, well, there are certain ways you can deal with it. You know, an example is, well, Jesus took the whip and started to <laughs> Then you can say, well, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a house of staying or something like that. But then, when I recognize such things, and David, you've caught me, you know, um, uh, you know saying, I bring it, you know, God, word of God, you know, to, uh, to play. Hey, you've caught me some evening saying this big, you know, good, you know, Bible verse that I really like. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <laughs> and, you know, therefore, I think it is an opportunity to, to serve God. It is an opportunity to be involved. Uh, so whenever you are called upon to be, if you are considering being a deacon, um, it will re- really, really enrich your life. It will enrich your prayer life, and it will be a blessing to you. Brilliant. Thank you, Sally. You can grab a seat. <laughs> Everybody's going to remember everything you said and nothing I said, Sally. Thanks. Let's just wreck that. I started... Uh, I started... I love this place. I started earlier by, by looking at the example of Jesus in, in John 13, but I want to finish with the very final verse from John 10. If you still have your Bible open at verse 45, it says this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the thing is that Jesus was the the ultimate servant who lived and died. And that's the key bit. He lived and died to serve others and in the service of others. Jesus modeled the servant life. And for those of us who who are Christians, who who claim to live in God, we've got to walk as Christ walked. We have been filled with the spirit of the servant. And so today as we think about our vision we celebrate and say thanks to all those who serve us. And I really mean that. Thank you to all those who voluntarily serve us. And if you're here this morning and you're looking for an opportunity to serve because you want to embrace an example, you want to experience God's favor, divine blessing, and you want to discover true greatness, Then as I say, during tea and coffee, 18 sheets, 70 opportunities, from helping to clean number 14 to helping with the praise group, from helping with the PA to teaching kids in junior church. There are countless opportunities for you to serve. The question is, are you in?